Hey, it's Shane here. Throughout the majority of my career, I spent thousands of hours on my technique to try to be as close to perfect as I could be. But the one thing I didn't work on was my mental skills. On the exact mindset I needed every ball to be able to access all of my technical skills that I worked so hard to develop. Well, I've recently released my book, Winning the Inner Battle, which has all of the information that you will ever need to deeply understand how you can create the correct mindset for you so that you can bring the best version of yourself every time you step out into the middle. Go to shamewatson.au to purchase a copy of Winning the Inner Battle now. It is available in paperback, ebook, or audiobook versions. Well, it's now time for your episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. Enjoy. To a certain extent, I'd almost find a player that I wanted to kind of go against um, and that would bring the best out of me. When my back was against the wall, when the game was in you know, a tricky situation, I was like, you beauty, here we go. It's almost like I got interested and there were times when I'd come in and we were flying and I'd be a little bit bored, if that sounds as bad as it as it does. Like I, I loved the contest. So if I was able to manufacture it or if it was obviously there because of the match situation, I think that's when I played my best cricket. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lessons Learned with the Greats. I'm Shane Watson, and today... We are so lucky to be joined by more cricketing royalty. This person dominated world cricket for over a decade and was the number one women's all-rounder when the ICC rankings were first introduced in 2008. As she retired, she was the number one all-rounder and bowler in T20 internationals, as well as the number two all-rounder and bowler in one-day internationals. Just to add a little cream to all of this as well, she was involved in two one-day World Cup wins in 2005 and 2013, as well as two T20 World Cup wins in 2010 and 2012. She recently was inducted into the ICC Cricket Hall of Fame, which is just so fitting for this incredible person. Lisa Stalaker, thank you so much for being on my show. No worries, what are good to catch up? <laughs> As always. Lisa was a true all-rounder in every sense of the word. She averaged 32 with a bat and just under 21 with the ball in her eight test matches. She averaged 30.65 with a bat and 24.97 with the ball in her 125 one-day internationals. And Lisa's 54 T20 internationals, she averaged 21 with a bat and an amazing 19.3 with the ball. Lisa, you achieved so many incredible things on the cricket field during your amazing career. So looking back, is there one or two highlights that really stands out to you? Uh, Thanks. You know, when you mention all those numbers, it's kind of surreal. It's a long time ago, really. I retired in 2013. But I was fortunate enough to be part of really successful sides. The Australian women's cricket team went through a period where we dominated for a long period of time. Also, the New South Wales Breakers, um, uh, domestic titles, uh, you know, we won 10 in a row. Um, so there's plenty of highlights uh, in there. But I think probably, you know, some of the, the most special moments would have to be uh, World Cup finals. You don't get to play them very often. Um, the first one was 2005 and 
I was playing with, you know, legends of the game, Belinda Clark, Karen Rolton, Catherine Fitzpatrick, Lisa Kitely, just to name a few. So to kind of win uh, your first ICC World Cup with that kind of calibre of people, you kind of pinch yourself. Um, Obviously playing test cricket, um, you know, is really memorable. My first test was actually at the Gabba and it wasn't that memorable, to be honest, from a batting perspective. Um, but the second test I was able to score 100 and and save. Um, we, we got a draw. Australia were in a little bit of difficulty. And then um, to finish my career, I had decided that um, the 2013 World Cup would be my final tournament, but I didn't tell anyone. Um, I just told my family and maybe two friends who were outside of the team, so no one knew. Um, And the dream was, hopefully, um, to win in Mumbai, a place that um, as a young girl I used to go there and spend time with my grandmother during school holidays and to kind of end my cricket career, the place where I was born, was also a pretty magical moment. Very special. What a way to go out. (laughs) World Cup win. (laughs) But also just with that, like for you not telling people and, you know, people around you, apart from your family and really close friends, you know, that's a a true sign of what, you know, kind of person you are as well. It's very, very humble and not sort of letting, letting things (laughs) get out there. So everyone sort of just braids you around because I know that's not the type of person you are. She's beautiful. Yeah. It was uh, It was actually quite funny because I remember in the match, um, Elise Perry ran up to me and she said, Lise, how many, how many overs have you got left, you know? And I said, nah, I'm done. Like, and I had the biggest grin on my face. And she was like, what do you mean you're done? I said, oh, I've bowled my 10 overs, I'm out. <laughs> she was kind of like. She's a smart little cookie, our Elise yeah. Perry. So she was like, yeah. mm, there's, a, there's an extra meaning to what you're saying there. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, okay, I'm going to move into the technical side of cricket. Mm-hmm. So was there one specific technical component with your batting that really stands out to you that you developed? So from that moment on, you knew if you did this every single time, you're a great chance of having a very good day. One thing that throughout my career, even though I, I learned all my cricket in Australia, I had Australian coaches, everything like that. I was always told that I played like an Indian. Um, mm-hmm. So I hit the ball very square. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My wrists would come into play um, and I actually think it worked well. For the teams that I was playing, you know, we had really Karen Rolton in the Australian team is a prime example, you know, strong straight down the ground and there I am just dinking it around the corner, <laughs> just getting getting myself off strike and putting her on strike. So um, I wouldn't have to say there was anything technical. It was more a mindset Mm -hmm. Um, so if I got out into the middle and I started to rotate the strike early, it meant that I was seeing the ball well, I was picking the ball up early from the bowler's hand and I was able to, to read the ball nicely off the pitch and, and it just allowed me to get into my inning. So if I got off strike early and continued to do that for what, say the first 10, 10 runs, then I felt like today would be a good day with the bat in hand. Yeah. Okay. So it was more a tactical side of things that you knew if you're able to you know, set your innings up like that, that you knew you're going to be in good positions to be able to react to the best of your ability. Yeah. I think because, I mean, the great thing about cricket is everyone has such a unique technique, you know, yes, there are some very 
key fundamentals that are important, you know, strong base, head still, those type of things for you to, to be able to execute your shot. But everyone everyone has different little idiosyncrasies that, that work for them. So I think for me, it was more the tactical side of things. The thing that I'm fascinated by as well is there's two like two components, two key components of batting. One is the technical and one is the uh, the mental side of things. So um, as the as the bowler would be running in, what would be going through your mind? What was it? Was it all to do with like mental and just making sure your mind your, your mind was clear that you're just reacting to what came your way, or was there like a was there a technical checklist that you're sort of ticking off from the bowler sort of starting to run in and releasing it? I'd have to say all of the kind of the, the thoughts about the bowler, the situation, the field, all of that's done prior to the bowler hitting the top of their mark. Mm. Um, and once they do that, then it's just hopefully blank. Mm. <laughs> um, yep. If I was having a really good day, I don't know if you've, you know, you've spoken to other players, I'd have a tune in my head and I wouldn't actually think about too much. Um, so it was pure reaction, um, you know, and, but like I said, any kind of thought of, look, I reckon if I hit the ball here, or I reckon they're going to bowl in this position, we can sneak to, or we need nine runs and over. So I need to hit a boundary early off. You know, all of that was done prior. And then Mm. it was just react. You talk about a tune in your head. Did you on purpose put that into your mind or did you? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And why? It didn't tell work me, all the time. Yeah, but tell, tell me why though. Like, is that something that someone talked to you about, about how to be able to keep your mind clear or you just found that worked? No, I think if you were to, if you were to kind of remember when you had some good innings, you tried to go through it, you, you would still do this. You go, oh, okay, what did I do that got me to that place? And as cricketers, we try to replicate that as much as we try. Um, sometimes it doesn't happen. So, yeah, there'd be times I'd be trying to get this, any kind of song in my head, didn't it? Yeah. But sometimes it just didn't happen and, you know, probably a few deliveries later I'd be walking back to the pavilion. But yeah. um, it wasn't something that was told to me. Um, probably I was fortunate enough that my father was a sports psychologist um, so really? from a young age, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, that's a perfect storm. <laughs> from a young age, I probably had an, an advantage yeah. <laughs> over people. And, and I reckon it was actually before sports psychology became sexy in sport, really. Mm. I mean, in my teenage years, I remember doing mental rehearsal visualisation um, because he was a sports psychologist but, psychologist but also a hypnotherapist. So <laughs> any kind of little barriers that I had, I'd go in and speak to him. So I was fortunate because I used and abused him as much as I wanted to, Um, but he certainly gave me the tools to cope with things that didn't quite work out and then also to set goals appropriately. Perfect storm. Wowee. Okay. Um, because what you're saying is what you said there is one other person that, we've, that I've been, I was fortunate enough to be able to talk to is was a Macram and his, um, mm-hmm. his um, first wife, um, she was a um, psychologist. So he had the, again, he had the perfect storm of the skills that, that he had, <laughs> but also then someone been able to work through, you know, those, those mental blocks. I'm just going to go to, okay, the song in your head, because for yes. me, one of my biggest issues especially in test cricket was burning my mental energy out. It wasn't until mm-hmm. I got educated on mental skills where I asked a question around a couple of players that um, I played with Glenn McGrath and Michael Clark in particular, they ha- had a song in their head. They talked about it, but I didn't know exactly why they did it. 
until I was, I got educated in mental skills and it's all around being able to get your mind on neutral. So you're not burning any extra mental energy until right. you actually need it, which you need to be able to assess the situation. So you're trusting your instinct and your like your unconscious mind sort of just um, aligns to what you need to do right now. But then also batting is so it's reactionary. So you need to be able to clear all those pathways and not be fatigued, mentally fatigued. So you can react to the best of your ability. Gosh. I wish you told me that when I was playing. Oh, jeez. Well, you could have called me. Like, anyway. Yeah, I know. Um, what's, this song? what's this thing about the song? The, <laughs> yeah. But the other thing I used to do as well um, was in the field, even though I was captain, um, there's so much downtime. And you're right. Like you have, we have a, a bad ability to burn so much energy constantly thinking about the game, whether it be the past, what's going to happen in the future. Mm-hmm. Very rarely do we stay in the present. Um, but one thing I did, and, and back then um, there weren't a lot of people in the crowd for us to, to watch, mm-hmm. but any of my family or friends that came, I could actually watch them throughout the day. And then I'd say, oh, notice that uh, you're reading the paper when I picked up a wicket. And they're like, how did you notice that? I saw you were stretching over there. You were talking to, you know, Lisa Kitely's parents and they're like, are you even focusing on the game? And I'm like, yes, I am. But you know what? I need to switch off. I need to take myself to another place. Um, it's a bit like with your teammates when you come into the middle, you're not always talking cricket. It's like mm. music, what are you going to eat that night? What are you going to do in your day off? Like it mm. doesn't always have to be cricket-centric conversation. Um, so, yeah, I was one to always watch lots of people out in the crowd and follow what they did and see what shenanigans they got up to whilst yeah. we were trying to play some cricket. Like I'm watching you. <laughs> Don't make a wrong move because yeah, I can see you. It's very profound to be able to have that understanding of your mental skills because that is one of the, you know, of course, the technical skills. If you don't have the technique and the, the the cricket batting skills or bowling skills or fielding, whatever it is, to be able to um, access it. But if, if you don't have the mental skills and mental understanding, then it, you don't access all the skills that you got. So, yeah, wow. Okay. <laughs> Phenomenal. You were such a highly skilled off spinner. So was there one technical component that you really worked on and developed? And once you nailed it and you knew if you bought this, you're a good chance of having a great day. For me, I was, I was told to be an off spinner from like under tens. Uh, I don't know whether it was because of my size, um, my background as well, being Indian. Mm. Uh, but I never could turn the ball when I was younger. Um, so I literally went to the nets, um, for, you know, certain, you know, for a period of a week or something during school holidays. And they always said, oh, your seam position actually needs to be pointing to fine leg. Mm. And I'm like, okay, great, but how does one do that? Mm. Um, And even though people said, oh, it's like turning the door handle open, you know, all of these things just wasn't happening. I kept bowling flying saucers. Mm -hmm. So I mucked around with different grips and I actually, instead of, um, keeping this finger straight, I actually bent it down the seam of the ball. Right, so, so it's index finger, yeah. For me, okay. yeah, my yeah. index finger, and that obviously does all of your work mm. really. Mm. Um, but it also means the ball doesn't come out the side, it has to come out over the top. <laughs> so that was just me mucking around. So in warm-up, if the ball started to have that nice shape and I could see, you know, two sides of the ball, not just the one side, Mm. um, and the seam was nicely upright, 
I knew today would be a good day because the ball was just coming out of the hand really nicely. I was getting the good flight, but the ball was had enough revs on it to drop on the mm. batter. And and I became, you know, off spinners when I was captain under Belinda Clark to be um, economical. That was mm. my job. Then when I became captain of the New South Wales side, I started to be more of an aggressive off spinner. So, mm. yeah, I got hit for a few more runs, but I certainly created more opportunities by getting the ball above the batter's eye line um, and trying to bamboozle them not only with spin, which sometimes in Australia we didn't get a lot of side spin, mm. we had to beat them in flight. That's so interesting because the one thing, especially as, you, as you're coming through, there's always there's coaches who try and just coach people as to be a, like a prototype sort of off spinner, for example. This is your grip. This is where you bowl it and do it. <laughs> but that's the one thing that you have to work out what works for you. Again, you knew what outcome you're looking for to be to be able to get the same position going towards fine leg. And that's why just it's working it out for yourself to go, okay, well, this is what the coaches told me and I'll, I'll see if that works for me. Well, you know what? I'm not getting the exact result that I'm looking for. So I'm going to, I'm going to tinker with a few little things and then it's amazing what you can discover. And then once you get it, you're like, okay, yeah. I'm not going to do, I'm just going to do that yeah. over and over again. It's like, um, it's like when you figure out algebra and maths, <laughs> it's like <laughs> light bulb moment. You're like, mm. right. Give me a hundred questions. I can figure it out now. Yeah. Um, but you have to muck around. And, and that's why I said the, that's why cricket is so great because there is not one way to skin a cat. Mm. You can do it so many different ways. And, um, I mean, you look at Steve Smith and how he bats. Now, no one's coaching that, mm. but he has figured it out that it works well for him. Go for it. Like, that's what I love about our game. And, and mm. certainly when I'm coaching, um, I try to instill exactly that. You try and give them an outcome. Like I'd, mm. I'd love you to, to whack the ball to the onside along the ground. How you want to do it, <laughs> let's see what you can mm. come up with. Yeah, it's it's very it's a very important point there because with Steve Smith, to see him going from where he was to then just become such a great batsman, he worked it out himself. He just had mm. he had his, well, fiancé at that time, go to the nets with him and feed him balls in the bowling machine and so no coach, no outside influence at all and work out exactly what was going to work for him. And that's the reason why he's as great as what he is. Instead of like it was for me, I was very reliant on, on coaches. Um, so in the end, I became more prototypes of, of the coaching philosophies that were, that were coming my way instead of just having, asking, having a coach there maybe if I need to ask a question. But outside of that is working it out exactly for yourself. Because you know what it feels like when it's great, and and you know when you're slightly off. Yeah, and and if you if you look at you know the legends of our game, they do something so uniquely mm. different to someone else. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> they've got yeah. that little X factor. They've got you know um, if we if we're thinking of T Twenty cricket, you know um, one of your teammates and Dwayne Bravo his slower delivery being able to get the ball to really drop, you know, he's the one that's mastered that. Hence why he's got 500 T20 wickets. Um, So, you know, those little things is players going off and mucking around, literally mucking around and and figuring out what works. Yeah, exactly. And also all the coaches out there, stop coaching people to be prototypes of their coaching philosophy, allow them to be able to develop their own skills and make tiny adjustments here and there. But that's, as you right. said, that's some, that's, that's the advantage that people have. If they've got something unique, 
that's what makes them stand out, stand out in the crowd. Whereas you turn them into a prototype, then you just be, everyone's a robot. Everyone's the same. Jasper uh, Pumra is, a, mm. is another prime example. Yeah. Who's coaching that front end? Yeah. yeah. No exactly. one's coaching that front end. Yeah. Exactly. You go down to the local nets at under tens, and they're like, "Get your front arm up." <laughs> yep. Yeah, they're coaching that uh, out of he him. He doesn't. Yep. Yeah. Correct. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. To be a, to be a world class around. Why are you chuckling away? By the no, way, it's why just because chuckling? look. The reason I'm chuckling away is because like the thing that I see with so many coaches, like majority of coaches, is, is they just turn someone into a prototype of what they think is right. But the best players are the ones who work it out for themselves. They've got a standard yeah. sort of you know, foundation, of course, but then they just they work it out for themselves instead of just being yeah. boxed into this into this um, place where well you just got to do this way. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise, otherwise it's wrong. It's like it's not <laughs> to your advantage. It's your competitive advantage. As long as you know if you if you've got a weakness and you're getting out certain ways, or then of course you've got to work on that. But yeah, yeah. don't. Don't coach their natural talent, the natural skill out of people, which I've seen a lot. Like in Australia, in particular, with what I've seen, we're pretty mm. good at that at times. Just coaching the natural, natural skill, natural talent out of people. So that's why I was chuckling. Yeah, because we, we've got we've got a, we've got a certain prototype of what a batter, what a fast bowler should look like, what a spinner, what a leg spinner. Oh, everyone's mm. got to be like Shane Warne. Mm. Well, no, Shane Warne's a freak. Mm. So we're not going to produce freaks every generation. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> okay, to be a world-class all-rounder, you were extremely fit. So if you were starting mm-hmm. your career over <laughs> again, from a fitness perspective, would you have done anything differently? Yeah, fitness was not my my forte. If you ask any of my teammates, I wasn't ever in the front of the pack. Maybe if I was, had a good day, I was in the middle of the pack, but normally okay. I was at the back end of the pack. Okay. Um, so the thing is I had to work hard at it. Um, mm. There was a period of time that, you know, um, Cricket New South Wales, they assigned me a personal trainer, Tom Redden, who okay. you might know, um, mm. who you know, he would yell at me a lot of the time and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm running as fast as I can, Tom. Um, but certainly I got into cricket not because I was fit and I could run around. It's like I enjoyed the skill aspects. Um, I finally got to a place probably um, in my mid-20s where I was like, right, I know how to slowly improve each year. I'm not going to be as fit as an Elise Perry. She, that's a fast bowler. She she mm. she chose that, so she could, has to be really fit. I'm a little skinner. Yeah. I was smart in my yeah. selection. Um, so I I got to a fitness level that would allow me to be match fit. Um, so and then even when I came out of retirement for the, the Sydney Sixers, I actually spent probably six to eight months just physically getting fitter because I knew the game had gone to another level and I did not want to be the slow coach on the field that just couldn't, you know, run and stop a, you know, the ball or couldn't take those twos because as, as you know, Shane, we're getting, as you get older, everything just slows down slightly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, I would have, if I could change anything, I, I think I would have, um, a light bulb would have gone off a little bit sooner than probably my mid twenties, maybe a little bit earlier in my career. Okay. And that's the one thing that also people have to realize is you, fitness is about, yes, you want to push, you want to push the, the limit on what your physical capabilities are, 
But with that, the most important thing is that you can just repeat your skills over and over again throughout a whole day. <laughs> if you're playing like a yep. test match, if you're playing one day or a T20, that you've got the fitness levels that you can just reproduce your skill under pressure over and over again. That's the most important thing. And yes, of course, if you're super fit, which means you can do it for 10 days, well, that's great. But most importantly, it just your fitness levels don't get in the way of you your ability to be able to execute your skills. And I guess one of the things that I explained to all the kids that came through our, the programs that I was involved in was that when you play a junior national championship or you play a series or a tournament, the fitter you are, the better decisions you're going to make. And imagine when you're fatigued right at the end of a 50-over match. It's the final. It's the last over. Whoever's the fittest will make the better decisions. So it's got nothing to do with how, with how far you can run the yo-yo or the beep or how quickly you, you do the, the 2K um, time trial. It's got everything to do around, like you said, it doesn't get in the way of you being able to execute your cricket skills. So if you explain it in that, um, in that way, I think people that play the game for the pure skill of it, not because they're wonderful athletes, um, will buy into doing fitness a lot more than than saying, oh, I've got to just beat my, you know, nine-minute 2K time trial, otherwise I won't get selected. Exactly, which is madness. And that's where it comes down to your mental your mental skills fitness because, like, I, I, was, I was fit, but I was incredibly good at burning through <laughs> my mental energy. So it didn't matter how fit I was, I'd get to, you know, 40 or 50, and I, because I was so charged up mentally – I didn't have the mental skills to be able to, you know, maintain maintain it over a longer period of time, my, my mental energy. So again, you could be super fit, but then if you're not making the most of and understand the mental skills, then it doesn't matter how fit you are. If you can't execute your skills because your your mind's fatigued, you need a you need a good healthy combination of everything, a good balance. Yep. Um, which is very hard to come by, to be honest. That's what yeah. we're all searching for. Yeah, also with, with the outside influences around, you know, all the coaches, the you know, S&C coaches and all that, you know, and everyone's trying to get their, you know, make their own mark. So it can, be, it can be difficult to find that balance when you're getting directions from a lot of different people now because there's so many support staff around. Yeah, yeah just on that, I reckon you've got to take ownership of your game. Now, yes, those people are experts in their field, but they're one small aspect of the game of cricket <laughs> and you add all of that up and that makes you as a cricketer. Um, and I think you have, as a player, you have a right to question, to ask why you're doing certain things. Um, don't feel like you, especially in India from a cultural point of view, you, you obviously respect your peers. It doesn't mean that your peers are always... Uh, Right, or your coaches are always right. You are allowed to ask. There is nothing wrong with that because at the end of the day, it's your career. Those coaching staff have already had their career. They're there to help you. So, um, you know, I think it's really important that if you don't feel comfortable doing something or you don't see the benefit to your cricket, ask that question. And if they can't explain it, then find someone who will explain it properly before you buy into it, I think. That is so wise. That is great advice. There were certain times through my career where outside people made me do certain things, fitness session, team bonding, like going hard sessions. And I get, and I hurt my car, like strain my calves, end up missing test matches or, or one day games because they 
wanted to do something to tick their box. Again, if I had my time again, even though it rubs, you know, rubs people up the wrong way and they think that you don't care or um, you're not buying into the team thing, which is, yeah, which is just absolutely ridiculous. Like, well, I'm just doing what I can to prepare the world as well as I can. So I'm fit to then execute my skills on the field. So then I can be a good team guy. (laughs) If I'm not fit, because I've injured myself doing this team fitness, hardcore fitness session. Well, I'm no good to anyone. So you're absolutely right. People need to, I know it it gets, it ruffles a few feathers and then, um, you know, in and around a team environment, when you question people ask, you've got to ask nicely, but you've got to stand strong as well, because in the end, you know, better than anyone what's right for you. Um, and what isn't. Yeah. I think you, you first have to have, um, if we want to use the cricket terminology, runs on the board to yeah. be able to kind of to stick up and say, look, I just don't think that's going to be the best thing for me moving forward mm. and, and people will be more willing to listen to you. Yeah. Um, as a young cricketer, um, there is an expectation that you just say yes and you do everything and you do all the optional sessions um, because that is the right thing to do. But you have to you have to at some point listen to your body. I'd like to think that when you and I were first going through um, the cricket programs and the academy programs, the understanding of the body fatigue and burnouts that you could have weren't necessarily part of our system back mm. then. I'd like to think things have changed. I mean, you're still in it, so you can probably tell me whether there is a better understanding of um, rest and recovery for players. There, there's a bit more understanding, but it's still it, the thing that frustrates me the most is when there's really generic sort of sessions that people have to do. It's definitely not so much in T20 um, franchise tournaments because the coaches and the especially the support staff around you trust you, <laughs> trust you that you are professional and you're making the right decisions to be able to bring your best performance on the field. But it's when you're in a more in a, a contracted environment when a first class environment, when those expectations, they don't, the trust goes away and that you feel like they're making decisions on your behalf, which it's like they, it's like they're taking, they, they don't trust your professionalism that you're going to be doing everything you can to be the best yeah. that you can. Because as you mentioned earlier, it comes back to you. If you're not fit or if you're not playing well, or your skills are down, it comes back to you, not them. You're the one who's yeah. not, who's not playing and your career is, your career is potentially done. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, the onus is on the player. Instead of them just, you know, their support staff ticking their boxes. Anyway, <laughs> that's one thing they really get. You know, fire them up, <laughs> Oh, yeah, good question. <laughs> okay. Did you always manage your body well or did you have setbacks that you had to learn from to stay fit? No, I I, I, I managed my body pretty well. Um, I had only one broken pinky in a match that ruled me out for three games. I think I did a tricep. Um, and maybe a slight quad strain, but never any serious injuries. I guess you've got to remember that I was, I was at that stage, I was working full time at Cricket New South Wales. Um, our training demands and playing demands and touring demands are certainly not what they are now. So um, would train two times a week with the New South Wales Breakers, have a couple of other sessions um, during the week because because I was at Cricket New South Wales, I could just walk down the stairs to the nets and have an extra hit or use the gym. Um, so, yeah, I didn't – I think that to a certain extent saved phys- my physical body really well um, because I wasn't thrashing it. I, I did have actually – the only issues that I would have is um, I'd get a lot of shin splints 
And there was the period of time where um, I had to do all the tests for compartment syndrome. So I had mild compartment syndrome. And so there was a period of time that I had to do water running um, to get my running loads up, so to speak. And so it was managing my shin issues. And I think back then as well, um, there weren't the shoes weren't really there for female cricketers. Um, so we'd have to get cross trainers and go get send them off and um, get them spiked up. And they probably weren't the right fit and right for us. Things mm. have changed so much now that um, certainly the, the players now have better access to um, better equipment. But mm. that was probably my only thing that prevented me doing everything that everyone else was doing. Good for you. There's only a couple of things and. <laughs> but as you said now, like you see with, we see with what ASICs have done, bringing out the specific female yeah. shoe, you know, that's absolutely the direct, what should have been there a while, quite a while ago. Cause you know, females needs compared to, compared to males are, are, are different. Correct. No, it's, it's good. Good. Uh, everyone, everyone's starting to understand um, that the women's game is slightly different as well. Mm. Different bodies, different weights go through, um, the crease, um, mm. we have different injuries as well. Uh, so there mm. is a better understanding of a female athlete now compared to when I was going through. We've already talked about the um, mental aspect side of things, but the one thing that I find I do find really fascinating is what defining the best version of you. And you talked about having a song in your head as that was like what you had when you're in your mind when you're at your absolute best. But what are the other layers to the best version of you, what did that exactly look like um, when you when you're at your absolute peak? It was um, the battle. Mm-hmm. So if you come up to finals, um, it was I don't want that other side to beat us. Um, or any time I was playing England, to be honest, I didn't like the Poms, so um, you know I didn't want to ever give my wicket away, or wanted to make sure that I was picking up wickets or keeping the runs down. So to a certain extent, I'd almost find a player that I wanted to kind of go against, um, and that would bring the best out of me when my back was against the wall, when the game was in, you know, a tricky situation. I was like, you beauty, here we go. It's almost like I got interested. And there were times when I'd come in and we were flying and I'd be a little bit bored. (laughs) If that sounds as bad as it, as it does, like I, I loved the contest. So if I was able to manufacture it or if it was obviously there because of the match situation, I think that's when I played my best cricket. Um, and I remember we, we used to, we did a thing for the New South Wales Breakers, which was um, stop doing, keep doing, and um, there's another one that you do. But there was one, they gave an example. So my teammates actually said to me, Lisa, um, when we're cruising, can you please play your better cricket? Because when we're, when we're not going well, we know that you're going to come to the party, but it's when things are, this was early in my career. So yeah. they were able to highlight it straight away. But yeah, I think, um, you know, I was a competitive person. I still am, to be honest. <laughs> so you, if, if the battle wasn't there because of the opposition, then you would, you would have to, you would manufacture it. That's because you knew that that's what yep. brought the best out of you. So you'd either um, pick a fight verbally or internally with, with a player in the, no, in not, the opposition. Not verbally. <laughs> internally. <laughs> not verbally. Yeah. I was never witty enough. I'd, I'd keep my mouth shut. But okay. um, it, would, it would be like a certain bowler 
Mm. So obviously, regardless of how strong the opposition team was, there would be someone who was really good in that team, whether it be the batter or the bowler. And I would make sure that I would win that contest, whether it was ball in hand or bat in hand. So um, I wanted to come out in front all the time. Um, how I got there depended on uh, the situation, um, c- conditions, all those type of things. But I always wanted to win that contest. Yeah, and that's what you're saying there is exactly me, is is exactly me at my best. I need to find, I need to be in the fight. I need to have my back up, back up against the wall. And again, whether it's yeah. outwardly, whether that situation, the circumstance just comes about because someone sort of is at me or whether it's internally, I've got to, I've got to manufacture it because I know I need that intensity for me to, for me to be at my best. I was going to ask you, do, does the media play a role for you? You know, if you have a, a couple of, you know, five innings where you maybe haven't got to double figures, is that the fight that you pick? No, I don't read right? it. <laughs> I don't read it because <laughs> I try to, I try not to read it because a lot of the time media either build you up or they're caning you. So it's not really the exact reality of what's going on. So no, I stay away from that. But for me, it's more, it's, it's absolutely on the field. That's what I find is the, you know, I need to, I need to manufacture it because the one thing, and as you've said there, it's because the mental skills, the mental side of things is so important. If I'm not in that battle, if I don't have that intensity, I'm potentially like really internal and I'm thinking about like, how am I, how am I going? I'm thinking about what, what's happened, what might happen in the future. Whereas when I'm in the battle, I'm totally present on like yeah. winning that battle. So you're moving it in yeah. from internal to what's out in front of you, which is everyone in cricket, especially that's when you're at your best, when you're really internal yeah. and you're sort of beating yourself up or you're starting to think a lot. Again, you're burning mental energy. Um, but when it's outward, what's coming down your way, that's definitely when I was at my best. Good. I look forward to seeing it. Yeah. I'll tell you. I'll tell the. I'll tell the IPL teams that are against you. Just pick a fight with Watto. He hates it. <laughs> yeah. Well, now I know that if if someone doesn't pick a fight, I've got to internally pick one with someone, even if they don't yeah. know it. Even if they don't know, I've yeah. got to line someone up in my own mind, um, just so I have yeah. that intensity. I've got to manufacture that intensity because if I'm slightly off, if I don't have that, I'm more leaving things to chance a bit more. Yeah. Talking about media from when you started. So how things are now, the media exposure for women's cricket has grown substantially. And now you're on the other side of the fence too, weaving your magic in the commentary box. From what you know now, what advice would you give the girls coming through who are currently some of the most recognisable athletes in Australia? Probably the advice that I'd give them is spend some time talking to probably current male players um, because we're getting to the point now with the coverage of the women's game, it's not just the fluffy stories of, wow, isn't it it great that Elisa Healy, Ian Healy's niece and Mitchell Stark's wife is playing cricket for Australia. It's Elisa Healy leading up to the T20 World Cup is not scoring runs. She is, this has been her worst run of form in T20 cricket history. So that's the conversations that are being had because more and more people are aware of, the female players and what's been going on. So they're being critiqued more than ever. Um, and that's why, you know, speaking to someone like yourself, um, it, it would be valuable for them to get an understanding of how to deal with the media and then also how to deal with the social media aspect as well because a lot of them, I think what's helped grow women's sport in general is social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, because 
the audience have, have gotten to know that person because they haven't been on TV regularly, but they're following them because they've got a great personality. So we all know that Elisa Healy is cheeky as all hell, basically, and she'll say what she wants to say on social media. You know that because you follow her. Um, so obviously she'd get a fair bit of slack, but how, do, how does she deal with that? So um, I'd say especially for the younger girls and and with women's cricket, we expose younger girls a lot quicker than male mm. cricketers. So, for instance, um, and you would have met her, Phoebe Litchfield, in mm. the Bushfire t- t- charity match at Junction Oval, yep. a 16-year-old from mm. Orange who had a great game, you know, a great season, I guess, for the Sydney Thunder. She had a couple of good innings, one player of the match performance. But all of a sudden there's cameras going in her face, um, she's interviews, she's playing with Sachin Tendulkar, Brian Lara, yourself, like, holy smokes. <laughs> How does a 16-year-old kid cope with that? Yeah. Um, hopefully she's got a great network around her. But um, the media for women's cricket is only going to increase. It's not going backwards. So they've got to learn to accept it and work with it and to potentially use it to advan- to their advantage. But also I think speaking to, to male cricketers who have been in that environment for a lot longer, um, hopefully they can share some of their lessons. Yeah, absolutely. It's incredibly important for your own well, for your own mental health, really, more than anything, and your own ability to perform at your best is to be able to understand how to and have structures in place and uh, mechanisms in place to be able to deal with it as well as you can. Because, of course, you want to be able to make the most of the media that's out there for the ability to connect with the audiences and to the fans. Of course, that's that's the reason why you why you play it. One of the reasons why you play the game is to be able to connect with people and provide entertainment. But the but the downside of it is on social media. Um, yeah, are the are the people who are happy to um, you know, sink the boot in when when they can, um, and that's that's the biggest challenge. And but that's not just social media; that's you know the media as well, the written media and the media in general. That's that's the that's the biggest challenge of being able to try and um, ride those waves as smooth as you possibly can. Um, and that's where, like, yeah, my advice is: well, I never I never read the media. That was my only way of dealing with it because I knew the reality yeah. of where I was at, and if I read it. And especially the the negative side of things, then it would really eat me up because it affect me. Because I like because I wanted to be I wanted to be the best that I possibly could. Um, and if someone had to go at me, I'm like, well, I'm just I'm I'm doing the best I possibly can right now. Yeah, it's not going well. I might need to I need to work on a couple of things, but don't just have a go at me personally. Like when I was having getting injured, he's soft. He you know he doesn't yeah. And then I'm like, he's injury prone. All that stuff. I was like, well, I'm doing everything I can to be able to not be injury prone. I'm definitely not soft because I'm, I want to play more than anyone, but that's just, and then people start believing it. So that's where I had to just get it out of my mind. So I just knew this is what I'm doing. This is where I'm at. And just be honest with yourself. Can I ask you a question? If you had a good day, like if you scored a test century, (laughs) were you on social media, were you reading all of the articles the next day? So social media wasn't really around at that extent when I was like, um, playing for Australia in particular. Um, occasionally I wouldn't definitely, I'd like, I don't read up until I started T20 stars. I never read my social media comments or anything. T20 star. Hmm. I'm doing it now for T20 stars cause I'm trying to build the you know, connection with, with my business. But yeah. previously I just did not read it at all. Cause I didn't want to know either way when it came to like nice articles that are written. Yeah, of course, sometimes you, you would read it, but this, the challenge with that is if you, if you do read it, which you, yeah, you feel great about yourself, but then you build yourself up bigger than what it really is as well. 
Like you, you do get caught up and going, yeah, wow, <laughs> I'm flying. I'm great. But then, and then when it goes the other way, <laughs> yeah, you're going to go into a you know, deeper sort of a deeper dive. So that's where, yeah. And that's where, so that's where for me, I just, you just have to try and not read, read it because you just, otherwise you ride the waves way too, way too high and way too low, <laughs> which is a challenge. Um, in regards to your move into the commentary box, was there one thing in particular that you didn't realize was going to be as challenging as, a, what, as what it was? Asking questions. <laughs> oh, you're because, a natural. You're peppering me. It's mate. great. <laughs> it's, supposed to, it's supposed to be my interview interviewing you. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I like how I flipped it. Um, <laughs> no, the thing is, as a player, you're used to being asked a thousand questions. And then you're used to like, okay, I don't really like that question. I'm just going to change and, and I'll give you this answer. Yeah. <laughs> and it's tough luck. That's the end. Catch you later. Um, so I was used to being asked heaps of things and talking about the game. But then when it was my turn to hold the mic and to put it in front of you, I was like, what does the audience want to know? I started doubting, you know, how do I articulate a really good question? Um, because there is an art to it because, you're supposed to give me the answers. Now, I may already know the answers, but you're the current cricketer. I'm not the current cricketer. I need to get the answers from you. So trying to find a way of articulating the question to get that response. Mm. And then you've got people in your ear, count it right, Lisa, we're coming down to you in five, four, and it, and it's like bang and the, the cricket's going on, there's balls being hit left, right, centre, wicket goes, you've got to throw back up, then you come back down. You get my message? Yep. There's a few moving parts. <laughs> it, it, it can be quite terrifying and you've done a bit of commentary yourself as well, so it can be quite um, terrifying to be just thrown in the deep end. And Obviously, just like anything in life, the more you do, the more comfortable mm-hmm. you feel. Um, and then what I've also learned is the preparation that I used to do for cricket, I try and bring that same preparation into commentary. So if I'm going down... So I'll give you a prime example. IPL is is always great. Lisa, can you go down um, for pre-interviews? We're not quite sure who Chennai Super Kings are going to give. We've asked for Shane Watson. (laughs) And it's like Watto comes out and he walks right past me. I'm like, oh, okay, so it's not Watto. Oh, that wouldn't be me. If it was you, I'd definitely (laughs) do it. Actually, I have used and abused you. I'm like, please, can you do an interview with me? Um, and you've been kind enough. <laughs> um, but sometimes they'll send one of the the new kind of debutants within the squad, and it would be some domestic player that I've never seen. So all of a sudden, I'm like, who's this guy? So I spend hours doing my notes for each squad. So then, at least if some random cricketer comes who I've never seen. At least I know, well, he's from um, he's from Tamil Nadu. Uh, you know, the last game he played, you know, because of this pandemic would have been February this year. You know, he did this. So at least I've got, I know, somewhere where I can go with some questions. So, um, but that that has been and probably still is something that I go, okay, I've got to get this right. This is going to get into another other aspects of life away from cricket now. And I know you played in an era where the earning capacity for women wasn't where it is today, but uh, with the money that you have earned throughout your life so far, looking back, would you have done anything differently from an, from an investment and wealth generation point of view? Yeah, I certainly didn't earn a lot of money as a player, but I was fortunate in the sense that I worked full time. So anything that I got from cricket, whether it be prize money or when um, 
small salary started coming in. I'd put the money into a savings account, um, but I wasn't probably taught about what to do with that money. The great thing is I, you know, I finally bought a place and I had an amazing deposit. Mm. But if I had maybe invested that money a lot earlier or maybe bought a one-bedroom studio as an investment property because I could afford it back then, mm. I'd certainly be in a better position financially. But um, I guess I was of, of the type of person is you save up your money and you buy it entirely. Mm. Yep. <laughs> now, I was never going to, in the Sydney market, I was never going to save enough money to buy a house in its entirety. So, um, yeah, if I had my time again, I would tell my younger self to invest that money as soon as I can instead of it just sitting in the bank and, and not really doing anything. Yep. Yep. Great advice. It's one thing. Um, if I, if I had my time again, I would have absolutely done the same thing. Like I was so gun shy around, um, around people giving me the wrong advice that in the end, like, uh, I end up just putting more money in like apart from buying my house, then I just put the rest of my money in a savings account, in a bank account. Cause it's like, yeah. I'm not sure. I don't trust these people. And because I wasn't educated enough myself, I didn't know the right questions to ask to be able to sort of rat out the wrong people. Um, and yeah. again, I look back and I'm like, mm, yeah, if I, if I knew that early, if I was able to find the right person earlier, um, by, yeah. ed- by mo- most importantly, educating myself enough. So I knew how to be able to rat out those right, the, you know, the wrong people then yeah, things would have been different. Yeah. And that's one thing that all yeah. young cricketers, males and females, it's so important that they're educated on just the basics of financial literacy. So then again, they can ask the right questions to be able to not yeah. get caught up with the wrong person and then and then make their money work for them. The money that they have, whatever it is, make that money work for them. So it just it's not sitting in a bank account like it was for me and like it was for you. And then you go, oh, I'm going to use yeah. it now instead of going, oh, if I just invested that a bit more wisely, gosh, it, it, I'd be in a different, slightly different position. Yeah. If mm. only, if only we could turn back the hands of time, what a. But that's a part of us doing what we do is be able to pass that knowledge on to everyone else, the younger people, so they yeah. hopefully so don't make the same little- mistakes as we do. <laughs> then we get a then we get a little clip on top. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm only I'm happy for like two percent. So nice. Okay, one thing that I've realised is that life is all about how well you bounce back from the setbacks that life always throws at you. So, do you have a mantra or a saying in your life that helps you bounce back quicker from the challenges that always come your way? I think for me, it's simply that. This is life. Like there are going to be ups and downs. Right? It's not going to be, the sun won't be shining all the time. <laughs> Sometimes you'll have some really rainy days, cloudy days, thunderstorms, whatever you want to go to the next um, level. But um, it is life and you, and you just have to find a way to get through it. Some days will be harder than others, um, but I think the most important thing is if you've got people around you, great support network, whether it be family, friends, partner, um, if they're around you and you're open enough to share how you feel, then you'll get through it because, you know, again, it is life and you've got to find a way through it. When did you realise that about life, that it's not just a fairy tale? 
Was there? A, can you remember? There's like a moment or around about a time where you realise that all those fairy tales that you read that everything's happy ever after and just goes in a beautiful like steep curve to happiness. <laughs> <When> you, <laughs> yeah. I realised that. Yeah, probably in my late teens is like, man, that's not exactly how life works. <laughs> uh, for me, for me, it was um, my mum got sick because of breast cancer, um, okay. and I was in year ten, um, and then she passed away when I was. Uh, 22. So okay. I lost my mum very early. Mm. Um, I had to grow up pretty quick. Um, and, you know, so that's probably what also allowed me to look at the game of cricket, that it look, it's just a match. Mm. Like, really, it's not that big a deal. Mm. <laughs> like, why are we crying in the corner about it? It mm. doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, and, and to, to be honest, um, there were times I got criticised by that, you know, if we didn't perform well, I'd move on pretty quickly. And I remember one coach said, Lisa, I noticed after the game you were catching up with other people and giggling and laughing. You're the captain. You need to show disappointment. You need to show that you're hurting. And it's like, no, I don't need to show that because it is just a game of cricket. We'll, we'll analyse it and we'll look at the areas we need to improve on and then we'll move on. But it's just a game. Of, and that, that was, and I think because losing my mum at such a young age, I had that outlook on life. I mean, to be honest, when after mum passed away, that next year, any of my school friends or um, uni friends or even cricket friends, if they came to me with a really trivial problem, I'd be like, guys, who cares? Like I probably wasn't a very good friend at that time. Mm. But to me, that was so insignificant you know, and losing your mother and someone's bitching and moaning about some other teammate doing, I don't know, not talking to her. Or, I don't know what it was, but, you know, it's like it's not that big a deal, people. So um, that was probably the moment I realised life is not full of ro- rainbows, unfortunately. Yeah. It's, it is really sad that you have to go through like such a big loss like that to have that perspective. Like, like I, I wish, I wish you could not have to go through that, you know, of losing a parent to be able to have that perspective on life. That, it, like cricket, it's just, a, it is just a game. Yeah, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try my best, and I want to do well all the every time. I, I hate losing, but it is, it is just a game. And that's when, when you're at your best in the game of cricket, that's the mindset that you've got. It's like I'm just gonna have a crack, and whatever happens, happens. But I guess the same could be said, Shane, that you, even when you, you, you first had kids as well, mm. I'm sure there's, a, there's almost a realisation, well, hang on, <laughs> um, I've got kids that are at home, it's okay, like this is all right, I can get through this tricky period because I've got people waiting for me back home or I think, I think those big things in your life, whether it be positive or negative, mm. um, they, they they make you who you are. So, you know, I, I guess I could sit there going, you know, oh, woe is me. I didn't have my mum, you know, in my early 20s. She didn't, she you know, she saw me um, make my debut for Australia, but she never saw me accelerate in, mm. and, and win all of these World Cups. So, you know, I, I could kind of go, oh, well, that really sucks. But I, I think because of what we went through, she made me who I am. Mm. So I've, I'm almost thankful of that situation. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a well, it's a beautiful perspective to look at because that's what people who are, are growing. I think it's the only one. Otherwise, I'd be in the corner crying. Well, that, well, that's well, that's exactly right. And and that's the thing. Well, there's there's always two sides to the exact same you know, same like outcome and the your tragic result is you can go either way. The glass that's like glass. It's a glass half full or glass half empty. It's the same glass, but depends on which side you sit on it. Where you take it as a as a positive outcome from a tragic event or whether you, you know, just, as you said, you sit in the corner and just never, never find a way to be able to, to be, to be able to deal with it. Yeah. Lisa, you've met and been around a lot of incredibly successful people. So is there one person that stands out to you who has inspired you the most and, and why? Yeah, I have been fortunate to, to be around so many people that have excelled in life. Um, but I'd have to say the, the biggest lessons that I've learnt or probably the biggest mentor would, would have to be my father. Um, and and simply because, and, and here's a man who, um, he, he's 79 and he's studying neuroscience at Harvard at the moment. Um, I know, freak. Um, yeah, and rocket science at MIT just for, for fun. Um, but he changed his career every 10 years. Um, and that was... And he's from an era, you know, he was born in the 40s, early 40s. And he's from a generation where you stay in your job for 50 years, like, you know, and part of an Indian family where you should marry an Indian woman. Like my father was a bit of a rebel in that, mm. in that sense. Um, and he pushed the envelope all the time. And um, I look back at his career and, and what he's been able to achieve and whatever he set his mind to, he's achieved it. Um, and I think that certainly rubbed off on me and hence why even trying to go into commentary, back then there were no females commentating on the game in broadcast, but I wanted to do it. Um, so I just set my mind to it and set my goals and tried to figure out how am I going to get there. So um, I'd have to say the biggest lessons I've learned has come from my father because of that. What a man. That's, that's incredible. 79, he's studying neuroscience. What? See, he didn't pass Freaking on nature. that uh, academic side to me. Like I was like, I'm not I'm not doing any other degree. One degree at uni is enough for me. Thank you. What was his off spinner though and his cover drive like? Uh, not so great. <laughs> but so he'll say he taught me everything. <laughs> yeah. Nice. He'll say he taught it all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amazing. I absolutely love reading and learning as much as I possibly can. So um, can you give me a couple of the best books that you have read that have had the most impact on on you? Yeah, I, to be honest, have never been a big reader. It's probably okay. been it's probably been the last 10, 10 years I've started to read a lot more. Okay. Um, Legacy mm. about the All Blacks good one, is a good one. So it's just powerful because of who they are, what they've done, how they went about it. I like to read autobiographies, but actually, to be honest, what I really enjoy the most is reading books about places that I'm touring. Um, So, for instance, um, when I went to Zimbabwe for the ICC qualifiers, um, I read... um, I can't even remember the name of the book, but it was about um, how the how the white farmers were trying to kind of still farm land, but obviously from a political point of view, the it, the landscape was changing and how that was affecting everyone. So it, 
I like to read things that give me an understanding of the place that I'm about to go to or am. So another another prime example is I was say, staying at the Taj last year uh, in Mumbai. Mm. So and I just watched the movie that Dev Patel was in about yes. um, the terrorist yeah. attack. Yeah. So, but there was a book that it was based off. So I'm reading the book whilst I'm lying by the pool, and they're going, and you know, you know, the hostages they they came out this door and went, and I was like, oh yeah, that door, yeah, I see it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm a freak. But, yeah, um, gosh, that, that movie freaked me out a bit because I've stayed there a lot and I stayed there before those yeah. Mumbai attacks occurred and I just was like, oh, geez, a bit too raw. But good for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I tend to read things that, uh, you know, that I'm going to or about yeah. the place or about the people, about the culture or about an icon. So um, mm. obviously whenever IPL, I normally read something around um, independence, um, mm. Mahatma Gandhi, the, mm. um, you know, the how it all came about with Mountbatten and, and all sorts of things, just to understand also even the Pakistan and India relationship and things mm. like that. Yeah. No, awesome. Well, you're no, the- it's, not, it's not very from a cricket mentor type of thing, but I think it does help me when I'm travelling to those countries. Absolutely, and broadening your, your knowledge, and um, especially as you said, from the cultural and understanding of all the different, um, yeah, you know, different things that have occurred in the environment and the place that you're going to. No, yeah, it's amazing, Lisa. It really is such an honour to have had you on this episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. You have lived an extraordinary life so far, and you truly are an inspiration for what people can achieve if you set your mind on something and go after it. I can't thank you enough for giving me the time to share all of your amazing insights with us and we are all that much richer for digging deeper into the mind of one of the greats of world cricket. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Watto. I enjoyed interviewing you too. <laughs> yeah, gosh. You're natural. That's You're a natural at it now, aren't you? No, mate. I'm <laughs> just trying to thing. get it. I'm like... <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking, right, what can I say in commentary when I'm doing a CSK game? Oh, there's Watto. He doesn't speak to the press at all that much. He doesn't read <laughs> yeah. anything. Get, I get can say there. whatever I want. Yeah. Get it out there and plug the podcast as well. <laughs> I will. Don't worry. Ah, Absolutely. I'll so. sneak it in. Well, it was great to catch up with Watto on the T20, uh, was it all T20? T20, T20 all stars. stars. T20 stars. Oh, T20 stars. Yeah. Thanks. You're a legend. For more episodes of Lessons Learned with the Greats, head to t20stars.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.